Good evening, and welcome to Radio Orbit. It's a special Friday night webcast edition of the show. My name is Mike Hagan. I'll be with you for the next couple of hours, and we'll have a special guest on with us in just a few moments here, Mary Sparrow Dancer, joining us from her home on the East Coast. And we're very fortunate to have some time to spend with Mary tonight. And we'll get right to that in just a minute. Let me tell everyone what's going on here first, though. It is Mike Hagan. The show is called Radio Orbit. Typically, the program is broadcast every Monday night from 11 p.m. till 2 a.m. in the morning on KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. We also webcast uh, and stream every Monday night, thanks to the wonderful people at CosmicWavesRadio.com. And that is... uh, what you're hearing tonight, if you're listening to the broadcast tonight, we are doing a live webcast. And again, thanks to uh, the people at Cosmic Waves for making that happen. So, on the web at CosmicWavesRadio.com, you can also find all of the uh, necessary links at www.MikeHagan.com. That's MikeHagan, H-A-G-A-N.com. And uh, Mary's information and uh, lots of the work that she's doing and has done is available on the web at www.sparrowdancer. That's sparrow like the bird and dancer like a dancer. Sparrowdancer.com, and you can link there directly from my site as well, okay? All right, so uh, let's get right to it here. It's Friday night, and I'm very excited uh, to have my guest uh, with me live from her home in Florida, I think. Her name is Mary Sparrow Dancer. She is an author of amazing papers and a very... A beautiful book called The Love Song of the Universe. I ran into Mary through uh, a peer of mine, as a matter of fact. Jeff Rents is uh, gutsy enough and cool enough to post uh, Mary's information and uh, some of her writing materials on his website at rents.com. And I, I like Jeff and I have a lot of respect for him. And he was actually an inspiration for me uh, before I began doing radio myself. So anyway, good for him for having that stuff up there. And anyway, uh, here we are with Mary Sparrow Dancer. And I just want to say welcome to Radio Orbit. Thanks very much uh, for being here, Mary. Thank you very much for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's um, very good that we were able to work it out. I know that uh, sometimes on the East Coast timing with my show isn't the most appropriate for some guests. And I love having the opportunity now to do these sort of specials. Uh, like we're doing tonight, because then we can sort of accommodate the guests, and uh, everybody's comfortable, and everyone's happy. So uh, so let's uh, get right to it. Thank you very much for being here. Your work is amazing, and uh, you're, an, you're an interesting and a courageous woman. Well, thank you. Uh, so let's tell people why I think that. Um, I'd like to start off with a little bit about yourself. Maybe you could tell us uh, a little bit about Mary Sparrow Dancer and where you come from and how you got on the path that you are on, because it is, as I say, a very interesting one. And for the people who uh, have yet to find that out, uh, just keep listening, because it will become apparent. Well, thank you. Um, Let's see. I'm not really sure how I got onto this path, and it was certainly unexpected in my life. Um, I was born and raised a Catholic, and I left Catholicism um, uh, about 30 years ago, and I formally converted to Judaism, where I was sent to Hebrew school by my rabbi, and uh, leaving Christianity completely behind. And then after I had done that, then I left Judaism behind because I just couldn't find what I was looking for. And um, what happened was I became an atheist. And uh, because it, it just, the concept of God just did not appeal to me. 
And so um, I guess uh, for about the past uh, uh, 30 years or so, 25 years, 30 years or so, I had been, uh, well, starting back in the 1970s, um, uh, I became a um, uh, an atheist. And then on uh, September 11th, I had a very terrible dark day in which I was diagnosed with cancer and I was having some real serious physiological problems at that time. That was the darkest day of my life. And um, at 4 a.m. on the following morning, I was awakened by a bright light shining on me. And, of course, when you're an atheist, um, you just assume the sun is rising early or something. And this was at, this was at your home, Mary? Yes, this was in my bedroom in my home here uh, in Tallahassee. Okay, so you're in Tallahassee, Florida. Yeah. That's right. Okay. That's right. And uh, I, I opened my eyes, and I, I looked at the light, and um, there was, a, there was a, a, an enormous uh, swirling sphere of light in my room, and I just, I, I just looked at it. It was, it was just utterly amazing. I'd never seen anything like this, of course, and um, there was a property about the light that was coming out of it, and as the light was coming out of this sphere, it was touching me and going through me, and it was, it was making me feel much, much better. I was, I was being healed. question uh, about the the apparition of the man was in other words could you see him as a man was he did he look like i mean what was the appearance of this at this point i could not see anything but the being but the sphere of light okay i could not see anything at all okay but it but it was the it was the the, the voice or the or the uh, the impression of a man right i knew that it was a male yes, yes. okay um, but i could not see him at all at that point we went inside the cave i met the woman the woman thought that I was 
hysterically funny, and she bent over laughing. <laughs> and and uh, she was laughing so hard that I began laughing, too, although she was laughing at me. And uh, so after this happened, um, the man in the sphere of light immediately brought me back here, and I was put back into my body, so, which which was a very heavy feeling. I had to go back into my body. Um, A short time after this happened, um, I was able to see the man who was standing inside the sphere. I had not been able to see him all this time. Okay, all right. But then I was able to see him. I was able to see him very clearly. And what did he look like? Uh, He's about six feet tall. He has long hair. He was wearing what appears to be sun-bleached white linen. Um, He has perfect facial features, and he has eyes that are extraordinary. Hmm. And uh, he does not wear a beard. Hmm. All right, so this is September 11th, 1988. Yes, actually, when I think I saw him, it was... September 12th, sometime around 4 a.m. I see. Okay, because the, the experience began the night of the 11th and then continues into the 12th, right? That's right. Okay, so, uh, all right, continue, please. Well, I um, uh, he told me that um, we talked about a number of different issues, and uh, I just assumed that he was some sort of a space brother or something like that, because remember back in 1988... That would have been a popular thing to think. Sure, sure. It was in the in the pop culture for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I thought he was someone who had just beamed down, and I had no idea who he was. I asked him at one point what his name was, and he said um, that I wouldn't be able to understand his name. He, he also said that um, my cancer would be healed, that I would be healed, and um, he told me that uh, he asked me, "What is our concept of God? What what is what is that?" Mm-hmm. I said, "Well, I said this is not my concept. I I just can't take this God, and this God just seems to be something that is um, uh, uh, vengeful and uh, mean and um, uh, constantly doing evil things to people and." He said, "Well, maybe this, maybe this is not really the right concept of God after all." Hmm. And uh, I, frankly, at that point, I, I really didn't even want to talk about God. I wanted to talk about science and medicine and important things. So, so the so the idea was that he was that he had a tremendous amount of information to give to you, yep. and you recognized that, and you were just trying to fill up on, or you were hoping to fill up on whatever you wanted to fill up on. Yes. Yes, this was uh, some sort of, uh, uh, this was perhaps the greatest scientist I would ever uh-huh. hope to meet. What, we, what was your uh, expertise or your uh, way of life before this experience? In other words, were you a scientist or a teacher or what was your line um, of work? I, I had a, um, when I was 17, I graduated from high school and um I was taken into a laboratory and I was tutored by four pathologists. Huh. And so I received a uh, uh, an extraordinary education in the fields of uh, uh, 
bacteriology and hematology and microscopic analysis and electroencephalography and um, many aspects of um, of, uh, of science that are found in laboratory. And a lot of medical science, it sounds yes, like. Yes, mm-hmm. medical science, yes. And so I had a background in that, and I also had a background in um, uh, veterinary uh, medicine. Um, I, I am not a veterinarian, but I, I did have uh, I did have extensive studies in um, in some of the veterinary uh, sciences, including ornithology. Okay. Um, so, uh, how long did this particular experience last? It goes on until morning, and then what happens? I'm not sure how long it lasted. Um, uh, at, Finally, after he was through speaking, he be- the light began to encompass him again so that I couldn't see him. And I kept saying to him, please don't leave, don't oh, leave, yeah. uh, you know, because I hadn't had enough. I wanted sure. more. Right, right. Um, he was just so beautiful. And uh, as the light began swirling around him, um, there was what appeared to be a large eye that came in front of this of light, and I said to him, well, "I know, I know what you look like. You look like Jupiter. Is that oh. where you're from?" Hmm. And uh, the red spot being the eye, perhaps. Huh? Yes, right. And uh, uh, he he came back momentarily, and he said, "Something wonderful is going to happen." Huh. Wow. Now, for those who don't recognize that particular. <laughs> Phrase, uh, Mary. Why don't you tell uh, tell people where that comes from originally? Well, it comes from uh, uh, the the novel of and and uh, the movie of two thousand and one and two thousand and ten, the Space Odyssey, which is focusing upon the, the planet Jupiter. Right. And Hal says makes that statement to. Uh, I forget, but whatever the guy's name that's in the that's in the spaceship, and he right. says, "Right, he says something wonderful is going to happen." That is exactly what the being of light said to me. Something wonderful is going to happen. Amazing! All right. and, and he said, uh, "Then he said, find out all you can about the tenth moon of Jupiter." Hmm. Which is the tenth moon of Jupiter? I have no idea. Neither does anyone else. Yeah, because it depends on how you count them, I'm sure. Right, and they're always changing because there are so many moons. No, there's a whole, yeah, it's a whole regular little solar system out there. Mm -hmm. Yep, So he said, now remember, not the ninth moon, the tenth moon. Find Mm. out about the tenth moon of Jupiter. So I said, okay, I will. Oh, I have an idea. Anyway, go on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, then he said, now lie down. But I was too keyed up, and I, I couldn't lie down. And then he was gone, and so I just fell over in a dead faint. The next thing I knew, the sun was coming up, and so I was wondering, was this that light coming up again? But no, it was just the sun coming up. Mm-hmm. Wow. Anyway, my life has never been the same since then. Okay, so uh, let's well, let's talk a little bit about what happens directly afterward. In other words, the day after something like that, I mean, it has to be an absolutely... Uh, remarkable morning for you. Right. I, I uh, came out of my room and I began telling my uh, husband at the time um, I died. And uh, we were having um, problems and, and 
he was I was thinking that he was probably wondering why it didn't take and um, <laughs> why, why I was standing there telling him that I had died and uh, so he said well, well what is what are you talking about and I said I went into a light there was a man in my room there's a man of light there's a man who has been here he said well who is it and I said mm. I don't know Oh my God! So he's thinking you're nuts, sir. Oh, of course. Right. Well, he—he he was uh, a lawyer, <laughs> um, and so of course, um, um, his world was black and white, and of course, mine was really too up until about that point. And uh, he was just thinking that I had just completely gone off the deep end. Amazing. All right. Uh, so let's fast forward a little bit. You 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 now are a pretty accomplished writer, actually a very talented writer, a gifted writer, I'd say. I love uh, uh, not only the material that you present, but you have a very uh, eloquent way of presenting it. Actually, uh, thank you. So you're you're a very good writer. You've you have a book uh, that is very difficult to get a hold of right now, as a matter of fact. Yep, the book is sold out in the United States at this time. Uh, when I wrote the Judas paper, which you have up on your website, um, it is a paper in which um, I reviewed the Gospel of Judas, which has just come out. It just uh, became available uh, uh, a month or two ago. Right, right, just earlier in the spring. Yeah. Yes, in the spring. And within three days after I wrote my Judas paper about that Gospel, my book completely sold out in the United States. There are no copies left. Um, Amazon sold out, and my uh, my book, The Love Song of the Universe, went to practically overnight. It went to one of the top 300 um, books on Amazon. Amazing, yeah. And and the book had been written. When, when did you write? First of all, let's give people the name of the book again. It's called. The Love Song of the Universe. Right. And that's a beautiful title, even though I've yet to read the book. Oh, uh, but but I'd, I'd, I'd love to, and I certainly will uh, in the future. But The Love Song of the Universe, you wrote that book when? Uh, I wrote it in the late 1990s, and it was published by uh, Hampton Roads in 2001, in spring of 2001. Okay. All right. And so that book has just been sort of out there doing its thing, floating around and selling, I'm sure, whatever uh, it sold. And all of a sudden, now you've been doing a lot of writing in the, in, in the past as well. As I said, uh, I've read material from you for a number of years now at, uh, at Jeff's site. Yes. At uh, www.rents.com. That's R-E-N-S-E.com. Jeff does good work, and I appreciate uh, the fact that he's um, – uh, presenting your material, so because a lot a of friend a, of mine. Well, he's. He, I, I mean, a lot of people go to Jeff's site, man. So, uh, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that are seeing your work because he gets a whole lot of hits over there. He sure does. And uh, uh, when when I I gave him my uh, paper on Judas to publish first, and uh, he put it up on his site first, and then he put it up in one of the banner areas of his site and he left it there for several days and uh-huh. then, uh, the paper made its way around the world yeah and that's where I uh, read it and again I had read some of your material prior to that but uh, that was one that really struck me and I thought and in fact I had a number of my own uh, listeners who listened to my uh, radio show who sent me email and said 
hey, uh, have you seen this woman? Are you familiar with her work, etc.? And they said that she would be a great guest on the program, and a number of people asked uh, that, uh, that we have you. So anyway, you definitely made an impact with that one. Well, thank you, and, and I'm grateful to the people who wanted to, to know more. Well, I'll tell you what, it is almost the bottom of the hour here, so let's take a little bit of a break here, and then we'll come back and we will tell them more, okay? Okay. And we'll, uh, we've got a little bit of your background, so let's come back and let's talk about the Gospel of Judas. And uh, uh, we don't have to go in depth about the paper, but let's just talk about what it is and where it came from and what it means, okay? All right. All right, back in just a minute, everybody. My name is Mike Hagan, and you are listening to Radio Orbit. It is a special Friday night webcast edition and we have a very special guest tonight her name is mary sparrow dancer you can find information on the web about mary at www.sparrowdancer.com and you can also link directly to mary's site from mikehagan.com all right okay and we will also have um uh, this program will be archived up on the web within uh, 24 hours or so over there on my archives you can get in there and download it or listen to it or share it with your friends and also, the music that you hear right now and the music that opened the show is from a band called Ism. They're from Brooklyn, New York. They're friends of mine and a talented group of guys. And we're going to hear more from them right now. This song is the title track of their most recent CD. And it's called Monkey Underneath. This is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit. We'll be back in just a minute with Mary Sparrow Dancer.
There you have it. That's Monkey Underneath, the title track from the new CD from ISM. Good stuff coming from those guys out of New York, and hopefully they'll be coming to town here in Columbia, Columbia, Missouri, by the way. For those listening over the web, uh, wherever you may be, this broadcast does originate from a physical location, and that place is Columbia, Missouri. And that's what's happening. So uh, this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It is a special Friday night edition of the program. We have with us tonight Mary Sparrow Dancer. And you can find information about Mary on the web at www.sparrowdancer.com. And you can always link directly over to all my guests from my site at mikehagan.com. And I'd like to thank the people at Cosmic Waves Radio for making this uh, webcast possible tonight. And to everyone who's listening around the world, and I know there are plenty of you, uh, thank you. And I hope you're enjoying the program. Stick around. It's going to be a good one, okay? All right. Back to Mary Sparrow Dancer. Mary, welcome back. Thank you for sticking around. Thank you. I love the music. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Hey, um, before we get into the Judas story, can I ask you one other question about the uh, uh, the Jupiter Moon? You can ask me anything you want. Okay. Uh, well, I didn't want to. I didn't want to blow it. If the, if it was like uh, if there was something that was you were going to say about it later in the program, is it? In other words, is it a big part of the story, or can I ask you a question about it now? Sure. Okay. Um, uh, did you ever find out what the tenth moon is? Well, what I did was I called an astrophysicist uh, the next day, and uh, I, I phoned uh, I phoned Florida State University, uh-huh. and, which is right here in Tallahassee, and I spoke to uh, an astrophysicist, and I said, um, you know, could could you please tell me something about the, the tenth moon of Jupiter? And he said, what is this a joke? Uh-huh. And I said, no, it, it's an assignment. And he said, uh-huh. an assignment from whom? And I said, from from a teacher. And he said, well, what do you need to know about it? And I said, well, I don't know. Just can you tell me something about it? So he went. Uh, he walked away from the phone and he got a book, and he started looking in in the book. And um, finally, after a few minutes went by and he didn't find anything, I was about to say to him, well, ne- you know, never mind. And then he said, uh, wait, I, I found something here. I found it. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, you mean there actually is something about the 10th moon? And he said, yes. And uh, he said, and, and you have to look for it in order to find it. It's not immediately apparent. You have to think about it. And uh, I said, well, what is it? And he said, well, uh, the 10th moon of Jupiter only uh, uh, about six kilometers in diameter. It's very small. And uh, he said most satellites that are that small are just simply oddly shaped rocks or chunks of ice. And I said, "Uh uh-huh. And he said, but this is different. I said, well, what is it? He said, it's a perfect sphere. Hmm. And I said, God, that's unusual, isn't it? And he said, yes, it's very unusual. And he said, and that teacher of yours, he's unusual too. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, he knows how to teach. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, here's here. this was my idea, all right, uh, for what it's worth. 
and it just struck me when you were talking about it, there's a moon of Jupiter that's called Io. Yep, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, and I'm just thinking of the numbers instead of the letters. Yes, and uh, people have suggested that to me, and of course any of this might be true. Uh-huh. It could possibly be, we don't know what the 10th moon is, right. and, and it could certainly be that it is Io. Wow. Absolutely. I mean, so, re- regardless, Jupiter somehow plays an important role in this particular part of the story. So Apparently it does. Huh, amazing. All right, well, okay, let's shift gears a little bit, and let's talk about uh, Judas, the Gospel of Judas. Um, for all practical purposes, most people in the West assume that Judas was the uh, horrific person who sold out their Lord and Savior, uh, and... Uh, betrayed Jesus Christ uh, yes, on, on, on what, a night before his death. So, but everyone has been told. Yes, and, and myself included. And I, I've said this before on the air, but I, I was raised a, a good Catholic, and I uh, did the Catholic school thing and had the full indoctrination and was an altar boy. And, um, you know, I, I know the story well. So uh, anyway, what, um, what did we find out recently? Well, we found out when the Gospel of Judas uh, first of all, let me say this, that the Gospel of Judas, uh, the church followers have known about this since at least 180 A.D. This is not anything that's brand new that has just surfaced. It's something that has been hidden from the masses. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as early as 180 A.D., the church fathers were writing about this, and so therefore we can assume that this gospel predated the the writings of the church fathers in 180 AD. We don't know when it uh, it originally came from because so much of the uh, ancient texts have been destroyed by the church. Mm-hmm. But uh, what we find in the Gospel of Judas is that, and most people are talking about the fact that um, it appears that Jesus asked. Judas uh, to quote and unquote betray him. He asked him to. Yeah, he asked him to. But what um, what I pointed out in my paper, which again is on your site and it's on Jeff Rentz's site and it's on numerous other sites around the world, is that um, first of all we need to look at the root of the ancient words in order to understand what is going on in this gospel. We need to look at um, we need to look at all of the words, and we need to try to find out what are the meanings to these words, and not the meaning right now today, but what was the meaning perhaps two or three or four or two thousand years ago. Mm. And so that that's the thing that uh, anyone who is um, doing scholastic or scholarly work they need to do this. They need to go back to. The, the the ancient roots of the words in right. order to find the meaning. The linguistic roots, okay. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, before we actually get to that particular part of it, where did the actual words come from? I mean, did uh, I know that you said that the church fathers had been talking about it or, dis- or, or writing about it or discussing it amongst themselves, whatever, uh, since the early uh, second century, apparently. So... Or, or what did you say, 180 A.D.? 180 A.D. Oh, okay, so so anyway, 1,800 years ago, whatever. Um, but do we, at, at this point or at any point in time, do we actually have 
the text itself from uh, the uh, you mentioned Qumran from the vision uh, from the visionary experience that you had or the OBE that you had. Uh, is this Gospel of Judas a text that came from something like the Dead Sea Scrolls or or, or something like that? Uh, no one at this point has said exactly where it comes from, and it is a copy of an earlier version of something. The Gospel of Judas that the National Geographic just released, which is the the, the version that I'm writing about, that is written in Coptic, but it is apparently um, copied from an earlier version. And it's manuscript. Yeah. Okay, so it's so it's been copied by hand by somebody. All right. Yeah. Wow. Um, all right. Before we go any further, I'm sure there are lots of people that are saying, "Well, it's a hoax. It's BS. It's not the real deal." How do we know, or how can we be relatively certain that 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 it's a legitimate artifact and it's not something that's been prepared uh, to, uh, uh, to 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 take a, a poo poo on the Christian religion? Well, the uh, the 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 scholars who um, who were uh, translating it for National Geographic um, were very careful, extraordinarily careful, and uh, not only are they familiar with um, the language in the various stages because languages change through the years. And so not only were they f- uh, familiar with the various stages of um, the, the Coptic language, but they also did um, did tests on the the, the paper the, the 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 manuscript itself that dated it uh, into ancient times, and they found that that uh, in their in their collective decision it could not have been a, a false document because not only was uh, the paper upon which it was written. Uh, ancient, but the the writing itself was following the language in which it was known back in approximately the time of 180 AD. Okay. All right. So uh, good. I'm glad that we clarified that. Now we're talking about language, and you said a few minutes ago that it appears that the real interpretation of what may have happened is that Christ may have somehow asked Judas to betray him, but you were going to talk about the roots of that word or that particular phrase. The word betray comes from uh, an ancient word. The root is tradere, and uh, it's not an evil word at all. It's uh, also the root of the word tradition, and uh, there are uh, several references in the King James Version of the Bible that that uh, in which we can find a word that calls that is that that is pronounced be ray or be rayeth and uh, in all instances when that word is used it means simply to reveal the truth. Hmm, okay. All right. So uh, so let's continue with the story. Uh, that, well, and to add something here. When when this story came out in the mainstream press, just the story that it was, you know, that this gospel had been either discovered or released or whatever, right, Mary? I mean, everybody got really uptight. I mean, there were, yeah. and, and to this, and and still, I mean, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that you get some people that are very un, 
unhappy with the things that you write. And in fact, I think when I read this particular article on Jeff's site, there were some comments that he's, again, Jeff will post it. You know, he put up some sort of uh, comments that were uh, trying to refute or rebut some of the things that you had written. And anyway, it's very uh, uh, touchy material. So why is it so touchy? Well, I think it's rocking the foundation of beliefs. And when people have their beliefs rocked, they get angry. Um, but and the, the important thing for me, at least, after this uh, article came out, was that I received thousands of emails, and um, they were all positive. Mm. There were only four that were negative, four. and two of those negative ones are the ones that Jeff Rents posted at the bottom of my uh, article on his website. Uh-huh. Okay. That was Remarkable. it. Everyone else was positive. And the interesting thing, too, to me, was that um, most of the men who contacted me uh, said they were crying. Mm. Now, that wasn't what the women were saying, but the men were crying. Mm. And um, I was just overwhelmed. And finally, after about two weeks, I had to delete 20,000 emails. My gosh, Mary. Yep. Well, uh, you struck a struck a chord for yep. sure. Something and it struck a chord in people, and it was just simply people were sitting up all of a sudden, and they were saying, "This is just this has this is this has touched me so deeply." Mm-hmm. And again, I was so moved by the, what the men were telling me because none of the men realized that all of the men were saying they were crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a it's a leap uh, yep. for, for most men to admit that, especially to a woman they don't know over email yep. or whatever. So absolutely. All right. Well, look, let's continue then with the story because uh, it's a touching one, obviously. So, uh, what what? Uh, let's just continue into it and tell us what why it's so it's so striking. Well, the thing that was so striking is that what Jesus was saying, and the, the most important thing I think about the the, the Gospel of Judas is not that he asked Judas to tell people to reveal the truth about him, but the important thing was that what Jesus states in this gospel is that he is not coming, he was not sent by the war god, Jehovah. Hmm. He was not sent by that god, he was sent by a different god. Hmm. So we have immediately, um, now we have something else here that the entire, uh, the entire structure of monotheism has uh, is now being questioned, and so anyway, um, uh, one of the one of the emails I have received uh, from a woman was that, well, you know, she believes that everything I'm saying is wrong, and she believes that her God is the only God of the universe, and her God is my God, and um, I'm sorry, but that's just no longer the fact. Hmm. Um, we have uh, we we see in in the Gospel of Judas that uh, there was no monotheism. There never has been monotheism, and that was a fallacy. We see that there have been good and evil. There have been war and peace gods, and they are not all one God. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting that you that you bring that up because I think of. Uh, Jehovah, you know, certainly this, uh, well, a male God, first of all, uh, and second of all, a, a wrathful male God. Mm-hmm. And there's this interesting book 
by a woman whose name is Barbara Ehrenreich. I don't know if you're familiar with her. No, I'm not. Uh, but uh, the book is called Blood Rights. And it's, she is, writes this book from an evolutionary biology position. But she, she points out uh, the fact that in human evolutionary history, how when we came out of the uh, arboreal rainforest onto the plains of Africa or whatever, uh, forced out by climatic conditions primarily, that the image of, you know, our ancestors sort of striding onto the plains of Africa and then, uh, you know, becoming the dominant and uh, primary predator out there is sort of a fallacious one. In other words, she says that, you know, there's a lot of evidence in the in the archaeological and paleontological record that shows that our ancestors were were hunted on the on those plains there were lots of big cats and uh we had a very very difficult time during that period and the gods that come out of this are gods predatory gods and in fact gods that are um uh, carnivores for example jehovah is a carnivore absolutely he, right? he, he is and this this is this is clearly uh stated if you um and the only reason i can i can really read this is because i was sent to hebrew school but uh um if you if um and i i always suggest to people that they try to learn hebrew because it's a wonderful language and it's good to learn and if you can read it then you can go back and you can read the Old Testament yourself and you'll see what is actually being portrayed there because what's being what's happening it has nothing to do with the English translation. <laughs> we have two stories going on here. We have a battle between, at least two. <laughs> yes, yes, we have a battle between two gods that is raging. And as Genesis 1 begins, we have a god that uh we have uh, gods, because in over 2,600 instances, the word is gods, plural. We have gods who came here to the earth, and uh, they created things and set things up, and um, they told humanity that they, that humanity should eat um, everything that bears uh, seed, fruits, vegetables, and uh, vegetation. And uh, that is Genesis 1. The Jehovah gods never show up until Genesis 2, and they have a different idea. They are carnivores, just as you say. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, in the, the story of Cain and Abel, yep. it, it, it even becomes apparent there, he chooses yes. the brother uh, who, who, who is a, not the farmer. He chooses the one who has meat. And Absolutely. The one, because there is something that Jehovah loves about the smell of the burning flesh. There you go. Yep. All right, very interesting. Okay, so uh, so it turns out that uh, in this particular... Now, now the Judas Gospel that we're talking about here, would you consider that a Gnostic Gospel? Yes, I would, because it does have, uh, it does have references to things that are found in other Gnostic Gospels, but who in the world even knows what mm-hmm. the Gnostic Gospels might once have uh, held because they were destroyed. Now, if someone reads Greek, and if you go through the New Testament and you read the New Testament in the Greek language, you will find references to Gnostic and Gnosticism. You won't find that in English. You will Hmm. find it in the Greek. It's amazing. You know, we have all of these different versions, all these different translations, all of these things that have happened to this particular book, and, and, and many other historical 
and mythological documents, certainly, but it has been morphed and twisted and changed and uh, added to and subtracted from how yeah. many times over the years, Mary? Thousands and thousands. Uh, in fact, one of the uh, the authors, I mean, one of the uh, editors or scholars who worked on the Judas Gospel, um, Dr. Ehrman, uh, he has another book out that's called Misquoting Jesus. <laughs> He has a wonderful sense of humor. It's a wonderful book, and I would suggest that to anyone Hmm. who uh, wishes to study. Um, And and so that we can know that our understanding of uh, of Jesus has been has been completely uh, molded and remolded and edited and redacted and. So we have this understanding that that Jesus is this simpleton wearing sandals who's a carpenter coming from a town no one else came from, Nazareth. Mm-hmm. And no one else came from Nazareth. You mean it's not mentioned anywhere else? It's not a city. It was never a city. It's it, No one else came from the town. It's not a town. It was never created as a town until people discovered that it was missing around 400 A.D. So, the, so the, what, what exists now as the city of Nazareth... It has been established. This must be Nazareth. But what I feel is a more likely translation of the word Nazareth, it comes from an Egyptian word, and that word is Nejeru, and that word means Shining one or being of light. Hmm. Yeah, that comes up in the Egyptian mythology quite a bit. Yes, it does. Netjeru. Netjeru. Okay, so how does this uh, bring us back to the to, to the Judas Gospel? And again, uh, there must be more to this that uh, uh, that sheds more light on the true story that, that that supposedly we haven't heard for so long. Well. Judas says to Jesus, I know what you look like. You look like Barbelo. Barbelo? Yeah. Who's Barbelo? And so I thought, well, we, we must translate that. We must translate that because Judas thought that Jesus looked like something. And he said, I know what you look like and I know where you're from. You're from Barbelo. Huh. And so, when I began translating that word, I came up with the translation that Barbelo would mean Son of God, and it would mean God in an age, in a time, in a language when God sounded like Belo. And so, when I began looking, I found that the earliest references to the Lord were not Jehovah, but it was Belo, Belus, Belo, Belos. Hmm. And this is all a reference to Jupiter. Really? Yes. Back to Jupiter? Yes. And, and so the word Belo is a reference to Jupiter. And in what, in what time frame and in what the language? The earliest, earliest, Akkad, Akkadian. Wow, so like the Ursprach type idea. This is, this is the very, very beginning when we knew what God's name was, and God's name was not Jehovah, the war god, it was Baal. 
Wow. Now that's a that's one that really is looked down upon, of course, by uh, fundamentalist Absolutely. Christians. It's they the talk biggest, about it's the, the biggest, greatest enemy. There is your battle between darkness and light. There is the battle between the gods, and there it is, right there. It is the battle between Jehovah and Baal. And it's a and it's a battle of ideas. Yes, one of these gods favors the human beings and one of these gods hates the human beings. Wow. All right. Well, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> so it's uh, time to take another break. We're right about the top of the hour. Okay, Mary? Okay. All right, let's do that. We'll come back and we will talk some more with my guest. Her name is Mary Sparrow Dancer. And as I've mentioned, you can find information about Mary on the web at www.sparrowdancer.com. Dot com, and you can also link directly to Mary's site from my site at MikeHagan.com. Thank you for everybody listening over the web. We are uh, streaming live, webcasting live tonight on a Friday night. Thanks to the people at CosmicWavesRadio.com. And we will uh, do this again on Monday night at 11 p.m. Central Time. So uh, come back and check us out on Monday. We'll have Elena Tanetti on the program. And we'll be talking about water birth and dolphins and uh, mysticism, and it should be really interesting because uh, uh, for most of the people who listen to the show, you know that my wife is pregnant and is going to have our second son on, uh, due as a matter of fact, by the way, and I should mention this to, uh, uh, to Mary, our, our son is due September 11th, by the way, Mary. Well, I think that's wonderful. I think that is absolutely wonderful, and congratulations. I do too. and I hope that he's born, you know, right on the moment that one of those planes hit or something like that. And I just want to turn the whole thing around for us. So. Absolutely. Anyway, so uh, Elena Tonetti will be with me on uh, Monday, and she's fascinating and doing great work. And uh, I hope you guys come back and check out the program on Monday, okay? All right, it's Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. We are doing a special Friday night edition of the program, and our guest is Mary Sparrow Dancer. So we'll be back in just a few minutes. And in the meantime, let's hear another song from Ism. This one is called No More, Appropriately So.
there you have it. That's no more. And uh, the band is called Ism. And this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, special Friday night edition of the program. And my guest is Mary Sparrow Dancer. We'll come right back with Mary in just a moment here. Uh, but for those who are just joining us, you can find information on the web at www.mikehagan.com. And you can listen to us streaming live at cosmicwavesradio.com. And for Mary, website information available on the web at sparrowdancer.com. All right, Mary, hi. Hi. Okay, thanks for uh, sticking around with us here. It's about 10 o'clock on the East Coast right now, and about 9 o'clock Central Time here where I'm coming from. So thanks for sticking around sort of late in the evening on a Friday night with us. You're certainly welcome. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure, and I'm really enjoying it. So let's continue. We have now... Uh, come down to this uh, sort of stalemate between two gods, two yeah. ideas of God. Right. Uh, and let's continue with that, okay? All right. We, ha- we have the God of Israel, and we have another God that apparently sent Jesus here to correct things. And uh, if, if we look back through the Gospel, and, and if we are looking in the Hebrew, and we're reading it in Hebrew, we'll find out that, uh, that once again, the God, this particular war God, uh, Jehovah, he chose, um, he chose out of twins, he chose Jacob, and uh, he... Esau was the other twin, and of course Esau sounds very much like the word Jesus, mm. because the word the J was only uh, they, that only became um, something that was well known in the last hundred or 150 years. There is no J; it's it's a Y or an I sound. It, there is no J. Yeah, I've seen that many times. Yeah. Uh, Yeshua and lots of different ways of, of yeah. writing it, but. Certainly the J is something that came later. Yes. The J is something that's very, very new. But anyway, so we have the story of Jacob and Esau, which is a very good story for people to study. And so we have Esau, who is called also Adam. Huh. And we have uh, Jacob, who is hanging onto his foot but born second. And it was Esau who was supposed to have the uh, the rights over humanity, but Jacob got the rights because Jehovah stepped in, and Jehovah renamed Jacob Israel. Hmm. So we have the God of Israel that is presiding over over 50% of um, the inhabitants of the entire world at this time, and people don't understand that the God of Israel hates them. Well, I mean, uh, there's plenty of evidence of that in their their own books. There, yes, there is. But I, I have been uh, I've been told by the Christian fundamentalists that um, you have to be you have to be spiritually inspired in order to understand the gospel. And apparently, I am not spiritually inspired. Hmm. And apparently, what being spiritually inspired means is that you have to understand the gospel. It, not just the gospel, but the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament. Um, you have to be able to understand it as meaning something entirely opposite of what it says. Hmm. Yeah, sounds convenient. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you want to, if you want to make war, it's convenient, I guess. So. Yes. 
let let me ask you a question about uh, about Gnosticism. We've mentioned the Gnostic Gospels a couple times now. For people who aren't familiar with that particular terminology, why is uh, the, in other words the Gnostic Gospels are obviously things that were written uh, by people, men and women, uh, who were involved with Christ. Why are they different than the Synoptic uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, etc.? Well, uh, the Gnostic Gospels present to us teachings from Jesus uh, telling us that we can have personal knowledge of, personal knowledge or gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, mm-hmm. um, of the divine, and that we do not need to go through anyone. We do not need to go through a church father. We do not need to go through any church. We can just simply have personal knowledge of the divine because that is our birthright. No middleman. Absolutely. So the church, of course, would not be able to uh, establish itself with that, with those teachings. And so this is why uh, those teachings were all burned um, like the followers of those teachings. Wow. You know, um, Mary, can I, can I tell a story real fast to, yes. to, to you and to the audience? This is... You, you really make me think about this. Um, my favorite story in the Bible is the story of Thomas. Oh, doubt, yeah. Doubting Thomas, right? And I think that it's a really interesting story. And for those of you who don't know what it is, basically it's this. Uh, shortly after Christ rises from the grave and resurrects back to life, uh, he appears to the apostles in what's called the upper room or the upper chamber, and uh, this place where they all hung out. And uh, Thomas is not there. And everybody is blown away that Christ shows up. And shortly thereafter, Thomas shows up, and he is a disciple as well, and who, of course, the Thomas Gospel, a Gnostic Gospel, was scribed by. Is that correct, Mary? Mm-hmm. So Thomas comes in, and, and they say, Oh my gosh, Thomas, you can't believe it. The master was here. And he says, you've been smoking too much Northern California Sensomia. And they say, no, he was here. And he doesn't believe them. And he says, I will not believe it, not until I put my hand in the wound, not until I touch his hand uh, will I believe. And shortly afterwards, uh, later on, Christ reappears and comes back to the upper room. And this time Thomas is there. And he says, Thomas, come on. <laughs> right? And he says, do it. Touch me. Put your hand in the wound. You know, make certain that it is me. And that story has gotten twisted, in my opinion. In other words, Thomas is looked down upon. At least that's the way I was taught. It's doubting Thomas. We have this mm-hmm. cultural metaphor that we use now for anybody who's a doubter. And, right. And, right. And, and doubting Thomas was the only man in the history of men since the life of Christ that actually touched the incorporeal body of the risen Christ. He was given the ultimate gift uh, it, it was not given to the other disciples. He alone was allowed to touch 
He was questioning. That's right, and he did it because he yep. was a questioner, because yep. he was a doubter. And, and this is a, a great model for us, I think. And, and, and again, one of the reasons why the Thomas Gospel is, uh, is, is shunned upon. But I think it's one of the most fantastic books I've ever read. I think it is also, I think it is absolutely beautiful. The Gospel of uh, Thomas is very beautiful. I do need to say this, that I don't believe Jesus was ever crucified. Mm. I believe he was always uh, Nedjeru. He was always a being of light. He has been with us always. He has said he has been with us always. He has never left us. And Rome never killed him except in their dreams. Mm. He was never killed. Um, he has never... He, we have been told that he is uh, He is. He is uh, no longer... Um, accessible to us, and that is only Rome that has told us that. I believe that he was not ever, ever, ever uh, um, crucified. I believe his teachings were crucified. They were burned. They were striped. They were pierced. They were ripped up. They were, they were destroyed. He, however, has been with us forever, and he has been walking among us forever, and I believe that his blood was not ever shed for us as far as uh, in a crucifixion or uh, dying on a cross, which was invented by um, Constantine. I believe that his blood was given to us in the very beginning and that we share his DNA. He is Adam. Hmm. And he is in all of us, as we've been told. Absolutely. Wow. Um, let's talk a little bit about Constantine. That's going to be one that we can't just let go. Okay. Who was he? And uh, in, in the 300s, uh, Constantine uh, was conquering the Roman, what would become the Roman Empire, conquering this area. And Constantine had a vision, and the vision was um, it was that of an inverted sword. In other words, if you were to take a sword and punch it down onto the ground as the sword was standing up, that was his vision. Okay. And so he looked at that, and he saw that vision, and he heard the words, in this sign, conquer. And so here is this vision, and the vision of the inverted sword with the point tipped downward, it becomes a crucifix. Aha, yeah, the cross. Yep. You know, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And so this becomes then the major symbol for Constantine, and uh, his wife then... Uh, one of his wives goes out and she finds the, uh, quote, true cross of Jesus, unquote. And uh, she finds the, uh, quote, the birthplace of Jesus, unquote. She finds all of these things that were very necessary to find in order to make people think, oh, this must be really true. And um, so, therefore, what we have is uh, we have something that is, that is being completely invented, um, the early church fathers, if one will go back and read the, the papers of the early church fathers, they knew that there was no crucifixion. There was no crucifixion of Jesus. They knew that this was something that was simply told to the masses so that they would understand that um, that a terrible thing happened. And what would be the worst thing? How could they tell something to the masses that the masses would understand that this was the worst possible thing that happened. Well, they assumed that the masses couldn't understand that a, uh, 
philosophy was killed. A philosophy of peace was killed. So what they had to do was they had to present it in terms of a terrible, bloody death. Mm. So Because they assumed that the people could only understand physical pain. They couldn't understand the, um, the, the pain that might go with a, the greatest philosopher ever, Jesus Christ. Mm. And I even hesitate to use those words because mm. the word, you know, mm-hmm. the, there was no J, right. Yesu, right. so Well, what, if he wasn't crucified, and this was a, uh, a story that was made up basically to continue an, another mythology, mm-hmm. what happened? Do we have any idea what, what the theory might be that really went down with Christ? And did he uh, I, I continue have a his theory, life? I have a theory that Rome didn't want him, uh, didn't want people to realize that he is completely available to us. And um, after my book came out, in which I said he is completely available to us and he's walking among us and he has been for at least 18 years that I know of, uh-huh. then all uh, of these people okay. began contacting me and saying to me, I have seen him. Right. I have seen him. They've seen him all over the place, all over the world. All right. So the idea, I guess, the idea that, that, that Christ was just a regular man walking around is just, in other words, in your opinion, this is, this is the problem. He was not that. He was... Uh, yes. uh, uh, maybe a different even species or something? I, I think that he is the one who gave us the genes to become humanity. I think that that is what he is, what he has been, what he will be, and that he has never stopped walking among us and that he is forever mourning for what has happened to us by the Jehovah God. Hmm. Amazing. All right. So, so the Judas piece and the Judas gospel is stuff that is... Uh, opening this stuff up to discussion. Is that right? Well, I, I would, yes, I would assume yes, but I'm wondering why aren't people picking up on this? I guess they're not reading it, I'm not sure, but the Judas Gospel is picking up that uh, Jesus is not from Jehovah, Jesus is from a completely different God altogether. There was no monotheism, that was a fallacy. All right, okay. So, uh, with regard to the current state of affairs mm-hmm. on the planet right now. Yes. How do you see all this stuff tying together? Because because you write a lot about current affairs, and you also write a lot about health and medicine and this sort of thing. So how do you see all this playing together? Well, I am wondering why the United States is over there in Iraq, and I'm wondering why Israel is bombing Lebanon, which is where Baalbek is, and of course, if anyone will do a translation of Baalbek, that is the Temple of Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, we have over in Iraq, we have um, we have many other areas that are called the the, uh, the Gate of God, which is what uh, Barbelo uh, actually can be translated into the gate of God. Hmm. So why are we trying... Why, when the U.S. first went over to Iraq uh, um, and began bombing over there and destroying things, why was the first thing that we destroyed, uh, why was it um, um, just um, 
the, the, the museum. Yeah, the Antiquities Museum. Yes, the Antiquities, yes. Yeah, I know. I, we followed that really closely, me and some other people who are interested in that, because, uh, you know, for quite some time there have been some people out and about that have been writing and discussing about the fact that, that there's much more going on than meets the eye here. Yeah. Uh, with with the Iraq uh, business and that and that it goes way way back to Sumeria and yes. and uh, and and the ideas uh, that evolved from five thousand years ago. So or or many more thousand or many more than that. Yes. Certainly, yeah. And uh, so the question becomes, uh, what exactly is the U.S. doing over there, and uh, why um, why are we why are we trying to destroy evidence of the gates of God, the Barbelo, the gates of God? And um, uh, Baalbek uh, over in Lebanon now. Um, so is, is, what, Baalbek, what? is Baalbek a, a monument or a place? Or? Baalbek is uh, is, uh, is oh this is something that people really need to look at because Baalbek is um, uh, it's a monument that is so massive that we do not even have the capacity to build or recreate this at this time. Hmm. We um, on the uh, uh, on the um, uh, the foundations of, of um, Baalbek, which is the Temple of Jupiter. Um, Rome then built some some things, but we don't. The 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 foundation itself, the retaining wall, um, is thought to be the oldest uh, the oldest structure. On the face of the earth. Oh my gosh! Yeah, there's nothing that predates it. Uh, this is this is uh, in the opinions of some people who, uh, and I consider them to be scholars. There is nothing that predates it, and certainly, if you look at the size of the uh, the retaining wall, the, the massive structure, uh, and you realize that we have no way of creating something like this, even now it becomes apparent something, someone, someone else created this in the very beginning. Wow. Wow. All right. And and you know, it's there are there are so many of these of these ancient monuments that were now that are finally getting their due. In other words, people yeah. finally aren't poo-pooing them anymore and realizing the sophistication uh, that went into their design and and uh, construction. Right. And and and, and you know, and engineers and uh, scientists that are worth their salt are finally looking at you and saying, "Well, gosh, we're not really sure how the hell they did this." You know. Right. And of course, they, they no one knows how. But the, and so I I would hope that everybody would please go and. And look on the internet and uh, try to find out what you can about the Temple of Jupiter, Baalbek, which is in Lebanon, and all of the gates of God, because there is something extraordinary that has that has gone on that we don't know about because all of that information has been destroyed hmm. by organized religion. All right. Well, um, do you have any ideas? What do you? I mean, I mean, I guess it's, it's sort of difficult to speculate, but. Uh, you've been delving into this for quite some time, and you've obviously put a lot of thought into it. Is, is is it more than an idea that's being fought about over there? Is there technology involved? I mean, I think there is. 
that's just my guess. I mean, there, wh- why in the world would they completely remove everything from a museum? Mm. Why would that be their first goal? It, um, they're trying to locate and destroy or confiscate right. um, ancient portals. That's what I think. Or complete a puzzle, perhaps, or something. Yep. Or, yeah, it's weird. It's almost like, you know, some of these movies that you think, you know, that are far out, Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatever, but that's sort of the stuff that really goes on. Yeah, and I, I wonder how much, uh, occasionally we do get uh, truths coming out of Hollywood that are right on, mm. and uh, they, they are, they, they uh, um, hopefully they will lead people into certain directions, so um, apparently we do get truths now and then mixed in with all of the fiction. Well, this seems to be the, the the big issue and the trouble, as I see it. It's it, it's becoming so difficult to determine what is true and what's not. And and you you talk about the truth quite a bit, and 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 I I appreciate uh, your quest for it. And but me, but as an individual, I'm sort of the same way. But for me anymore, I'm so lost by the muddiness of, of, of information from all different sides that it seems that personal experience for me uh, is, where, is where the rubber meets the road and that anything outside of what you can actually see, feel, hear, touch, and really you know, feel uh, is sort of unconfirmed rumor almost. Well, that's the way I take it. For me, I have seen what I have seen. And I've seen it for 18 years now, and I continue to see it. And therefore, I go by what I have seen and what I have witnessed. Right, right, right. And um, and what else can you do? In other words, that's what I think that's what we're supposed to do, right? That's what I know. Well, that's what I was asked to do. Hmm. Uh, he asked me if I would come forward as a witness, and I said yes. And um, so I have come forward as a witness. I am telling people what I have seen, what I have heard. He asked me to do that. He said, tell people everything that you have seen and heard. That's what I've done, and that's what I continue to do. Um, as far as what other people believe in, that has nothing to do with me. I am not about what people believe in or their faith or their beliefs or anything like that. You're just telling your story. That's it. I have been asked to come forward as a witness. That's all. Have you had any other additional experiences other than that 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 one striker? In other words, ha, have striker? you ever? In other words, that was a striking experience that you had 18 years ago. Has it ever happened oh. again? Oh, uh, throughout the last 18 years, yes, constantly. Huh. Uh, it has never stopped. He is here. Uh, my children have seen him. My little dog has seen him. Huh. Um, many people have seen him. Um, he's walking among us. What can I say? Right. Well, okay, let's, uh, let's take a break, and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about this because I want to know what he's saying uh, and, and what the current message is. And what, in other words, we, I'd like to leave the listeners not scratching their head. There must be some sort of a purpose to this. We must, uh, uh, there's a reason for you to be sharing all this information with us, so maybe you can help out a little bit and tell people more about the message and you know i don't know is there is there a message for other people yes 
All right, well, let's come back and we'll talk about that, okay? All right, everybody, this is Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. We're doing a special Friday night webcast with Mary Sparrow Dancer. You can get us on the web at MikeHagan.com, and you can find Mary on the web at uh, SparrowDancer.com, all right? Okay, it is Mike, and let's play another song here by my friends, Ism. You can find them on the web, by the way, uh, as well, uh, at MikeHagan.com. Just click on the Music Archives, and you'll see... Uh, information about most of the bands that are featured on the program here. This one more time is uh, awesome, independent American music, rock and roll from New York City, ISM. The song is called Out of the Way. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit.
out of the way. That's ism. On Radio Orbit, it's Mike Hagan. You're listening to it live on the web via CosmicWavesRadio.com. And it's nice to be with you tonight on a Friday night. My guest is and has been for the last hour and a half the amazing Mary Sparrow Dancer. And we've got about another 25 minutes or so with Mary, so we're going to get right back to her. Say hello. 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 Okay. So, Mary, um, before we go any further, uh, I want to ask you one other question. We've had a couple conversations off the air, and uh, this is sort of a left turn from where we've been tonight, but you have an interest in uh, this particular compound called dimethyltryptamine, and I know that you have... uh, been in touch with Dr. Rick Strassman, someone who I know and I've interviewed before. Yeah. How does this particular substance that is a remarkable uh, thing come into your whole story, and why are you interested in it? Uh, that's a wonderful question. We uh, create dimethyltryptamine in our bodies, DMT. DMT, it's the spirit. The spirit molecule, yeah, that, yeah. Th- that's, what, that's what Rick Strassman's book was called, DMT, yeah. the spirit molecule. And uh, so we, we create this within our own bodies, and uh, I, I, I have just simply been wondering, you know, what in the world happened to me on that night, uh, September 11th, uh, 1988, and September 12th, 1988, what I happened see. then, uh-huh. and what has continued to happen, uh-huh. and... Um, and uh, so he has done, uh, uh, Dr. Strassman has done uh, research into um, near-death experiences and other experiences where uh, people have extraordinary um, abilities. And apparently uh, what has been found is that we create in our minds uh, or in our bodies somewhere, and they're not even sure where it's created, but somehow our body creates uh, uh, DMT, and it acts almost as like a key that opens a door into another dimension. Mm-hmm. And once you see this other dimension, uh, you're no longer limited by the physical dimension that you're standing in. Yeah, this is a, an amazing compound, and, and like Mary says, it's it's found in everybody's nervous system. And right, we're, we create it ourselves, and uh, uh, what is so inc- incredibly strange is that the government has uh, declared this to be a Schedule One controlled substance. And that's right, the wor- among the worst of the worst. Yeah, making us all, because we're <laughs> simply human, criminals. That's right, we're all carrying Right, we're all walking around as criminals because uh, we make it ourselves. Including the judges. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. We, I, I've, I've, you know, I talk about this stuff a little bit on the air now and again, and I have some friends that are in the psychedelic community, and I have a little bit of my own history. And I, I um, uh, Richard Glenn Boyer, who's, a, who's an attorney, uh, who's a friend. You know, there was a big story, by the way, that came out on Tuesday, this, uh, this Johns Hopkins study. On psilocybin, big big news. I loved it. Yeah, it, me too. It, it was absolutely, it was absolutely stunning. And and uh, I asked uh, one of the uh, one of the researchers, what is the difference between um, DMT and psilocybin? Hmm, not much. 
And they said one oxygen molecule. That's right. It is just a shave away. Yeah, it's uh, identical with the exception of one oxygen molecule. And the really interesting, I mean, there are many, many interesting things about these two, but the experiences, uh, if you you go and experience ayahuasca with an Amazonian shaman, for example, and dimethyltryptamine is the the active compound in that particular uh, ceremonial concoction that they drink down there in the Amazon, and then you have, uh, you know, a similar experience with mushroom or psilocybin, you'll find the experiences are quite different. Uh, it's amazing that such a small uh, shift in, in the molecular structure can can have such a profound uh, change on the effect, although uh, the effects are uh, from a, um, as far as what they do to people and how they affect people, I think the effect is very, very similar, and it's, and it's most, uh, most commonly a profoundly good effect. Yes, yes. Um, I had a, a friend who was telling me that um, he uh, went to South America and he experienced ayahuasca, and this man was uh, was a, uh, a well-known uh, builder in this area of Florida, mm-hmm. and uh, he said that he was just simply blown away because he was standing in one place at one moment, and in the, the next moment he was standing in a room where there were a number of different people, and among the people was Jesus. And Jesus saw that he was standing there in the room and couldn't figure out where he was. And so Jesus went over to uh, my friend Bill, and uh, Jesus uh, shook his hand and said, uh, it's okay, everything is okay. And Bill said, my God, I can't, I can't believe that I'm I'm seeing this. And Jesus said, Listen, I'm not really anyone any different from you. The only thing I understand is that I am the Son of God, and you do not understand that you are also. Mm. And oh, unfortunately, man. Bill was killed in a car accident about three months ago. Hmm. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Maybe he's listening to us right now. I hope so. Well, he'd be proud of you, I think, Mary, for sure. And uh, it's it's pretty interesting that you mentioned that 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 statement that, that, that Jesus or, or that entity, like you say, I have a hard time using the language even, but yep. uh, spoke to your friend because you know there are a number of passages that come to mind from the Christian Bible and that tradition that haven't been struck from the record, and they say similar things. You know, Christ said, uh, and I paraphrase, but I know that there's a statement somewhere that says, you too shall do these things and greater things as, yes, as yes. I do. Yes, and he said uh, um, that we are his brethren. Mm-hmm. Why would he say that unless we were? He has said, uh, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. Right, and to protect the children. He's not apart from us. You know, he is one of us. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, what the, the other one is, the kingdom of the Father is spread among the earth, but men do not see it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. And the kingdom of the mother, too, I might add. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. And, and he said, uh, and, and the peacemakers, mm. blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah. And, of course, he was known among the American Indians uh, as the peacemaker. That yep. was his name. He, was, he, he has never been called by a name, just simply the peacemaker or man with no name. Wow. Fascinating stuff. 
And you find accounts in many, many different cultures and throughout history of these types of individuals, but they just sort of are interpreted through the lens of the culture. Right. And people assume that this was uh, that that these were all different individuals, but um, the message has always been the same, and it's always been simple, and it's always been simple enough for even a child to understand, and that is that we should have love for one another, and we should treat each other with compassion, mm-hmm. not war. Yeah, it's uh, the simple things, and it's been twisted so in such an ugly fashion. Yes. And it's outrageous, actually, because it is so simple. And yeah. it's, it's amazing that it even gets argued. In other words, how do you argue against those simple statements that were just said over the last five minutes on this program? I mean, it's very difficult to argue with that, it seems. At least it sh- seems like it to me. It, it, it does seem that way. And uh, even if you go back to uh, the code of... Um, of um, the, the ancient codes and even the code of Hammurabi, um, uh, there were things that were said in there that uh, that had to do with uh, um, civil rights and civil liberties, including um, um, minimum wage. Now, where in the world would that have come from out of the depths of the last ice age? <laughs> right, minimum wage. <laughs> that, but Hammurabi came up with that, um, and he said that he was uh, he was the son of uh, some of the gods, and some and of course some of his laws were very harsh. And we don't need these harsh laws. We need the, the laws that are more simple, and uh, the laws that we that are simple so that children are not being injured and hurt. Right. What laws should ever Allow for the harm. Allow for a child to be hurt. I agree. No law. I agree. And I I say it all the time, but the the mark of a culture and the way, for me, the one simple way to to make an assessment of how a society or how a culture is doing is just to look at how they treat their children. And not only how they treat their children, but how they treat children. You know, this is the yes. problem. We have this idea, well, it's our children. Well, it's not our children. It's the children, all the of them. The children. It is the children. And also, you know, if, if, if people can think about this, it's also how we treat the animals. It's how we treat That's right. the environment. The, the, the it's plants. how we treat everything. Every, everything. If, if we have no respect for anything, which is, which is apparently what... Um, the the prevailing God has no respect for anything. Um, if we, as human beings, have no respect for anything, then we are lowering ourselves to this to the level of this prevailing God. We need to rise ourselves above the level of this prevailing God, and we need to establish for ourselves uh, the fact that that there is a better God, there is a better thing for us to do, there is a better way for us to act, and that is uh, to act with a God of compassion. Yes, and I, I only point to the news of the day, you know, that what we have been doing has not worked and is not working and, right. and will not work. And it, right. is, it is patently obvious and self-evident now uh, how many more children have to be harmed? How many more bombs have to inadvertently kill the quote-unquote wrong people? I mean, who are the right people to kill, you know? But but anyway, 
and it's also becoming a matter of necessity. Uh, you know, the, the weaponry and the, the tools of the destroyers are so sophisticated now that they're becoming quite a danger to everybody, whether they want to fight or not, you know. So something you know, is going to have to change. It is, and uh, it has to change, and we need to throw down the weapons, and we need to stop this, and we need to stop it before we destroy the entire world. How do we do, Mary, how do we do it in the face of those, though, that have the power? In other, in other words, they have the power. They have the guns. They have the money. They have the media. They have uh, all the, uh, the arms and everything. And is it, it, they are all following the God of Jehovah. I think that what we need to do is we need to have more programs like yours. We need to have people understanding that there is not one God that is the God of war, that is the God of Israel. That is not the only God. We need to have more programs so that people will understand that there is a God of compassion. And I would like to say, Kyrie eleison. And that is, if you were raised Catholic, you will, that sounds familiar. I recognize it. Kyrie eleison is not uh, translated properly. Um, we have been told that it means, uh, Lord have mercy. Mm-hmm. Well, if you speak uh, Greek or Hebrew, you will know that it does not mean that at all. What it means is, may you encounter a God of compassion. Kyrie mm-hmm. eleison, may you encounter a God of compassion. And I have a song, um, on the left hand side of my website. If people want to go there, they can hear what the song of love of the universe sounds like if they click on that. It's from Canadian composer uh, Larry Nickel. And I um, see it right there, Music from the Light by composer Larry Nickel. Yes, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. That's what it sounds like. And um, uh, that I, I asked him, uh, I said to him, where did you hear this? Because I knew he had heard this in the light. And he confirmed to me that uh, he had had an MDE, and when he came back, he dedicated his life to uh, composing the music of God. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on in the background here. Can you hear that? All right, so we'll put that on. We got we got a few more minutes to talk. Is it cool if I put that on in the background? Oh yeah, I love that. All right, I'll put it. It's little... my vitamin B. I, I listen to it every day. Ha! Huh, awesome. All right, so we'll 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 talk over that for a few minutes. So, well, and there's another wonderful answer: uh, music and art and creativity. Yes. Uh, those sorts of things. I'm a huge uh, advocate of, and I think it's another way to touch God. God gave us our ability to create. We we have we have so many abilities that were given to us. We were never told to stifle anything. We were told to come forward and create with love as much as we could possibly create. Wow, I had to just be quiet for a moment there. Thank you. I know, it's beautiful, Mary. And we are, uh, in all of our works and actions and 
thoughts and words, we create it every moment. Yes, we do. And, and we, we do have the ability to create. And we should, we should listen to this call to come forward and to create and to ask any questions and to never stop and to just keep coming forward and just keep asking and just keep speaking and never stop speaking. I agree with you. Stop creating. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, recount that Doubting Thomas story again. You know, it's not, it's okay to doubt. It's okay to do everything. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. All right. Well, what's uh, what's what's next for Mary Sparrow Dancer? Well, um, uh, I'm hoping to be able to obtain copies of my own book. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah. I'd like to get a copy of it too, as a matter well, of fact. Well, as soon as I can obtain copies, I'll send you one. Yeah, and we'll do another program, and, I'll, and we'll give a copy to a listener or something like that. Oh, thank you. Okay. I would appreciate that. I would love to speak to you again. Okay, all right. Yeah, there's so much to talk about, you know. Um, it appears my book is going to be uh, possibly published in Japan. Wonderful. So uh, I think that the, the more people under, understand and know about what's going on, this, this, it's just it's good for all of us because we need to just all understand that we are being asked to come forward, not not being asked to sit back and do nothing. Come forward. Come forward and ask questions. And when you do that, at least uh, for me, and I'm a, I'm a question asker for sure. Good. Um, but it 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 brings a whole. Uh, wonder back into life first of all uh, for me it's sort of like you know the wonder of a child is back <laughs> because I realize how much there is that I have no idea about and how many things there are that I could learn about that I that I that would interest me had I even knew that they existed you know and gosh it goes on and on and on and the more you learn the more you realize how little you know and it keeps driving you forward, at least in my case. And in my case also, and, and we need to be all like children. And we need to just be unafraid of asking questions. Well, why, Daddy? Why, Daddy? Why? Just ask all of the questions. All right. Well, Mary, it has been a pleasure. And uh, we're just going to let this piece run out here. I think we've got a few more seconds of it, but I will say thank you very much for your time. You're a wonderful and courageous woman, and I appreciate all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, and I appreciate your having me on your show, and uh, I'll look forward to any future uh, invitations. Yep, we'll uh, make sure that we stay in touch uh, after the fact here, and we'll talk again in the future, okay? Thank you so much. Wonderful, Mary. Take care of yourself, all right? Thank you, and you too. All right, everybody, wonderful stuff. Mary Sparrow Dancer. And one last time, you can find information about Mary on the web at www.sparrowdancer.com. And from here on out, you'll be able to find information about Mary directly through my site at mikehagan.com. This particular program will be up in the archives sometime tomorrow. I'll uh, uh, make sure we got a good recording and uh, do a quick edit and get it up there on the web so people can download it. Listen to it and share it with their friends. It's interesting and relevant information, and whether you agree or disagree, it is 
certainly worthy of discussion and debate. And I think that Mary would agree with that. She wants people to be talking and discussing and using their language and their words and their minds to come up with their own uh, decision and uh, discernment about what's really going on here. So uh, I encourage you all to do that. And uh, one more time, a big thank you to Mary Sparrow Dancer, okay? All right, it's Mike. You've been listening to Radio Orbit. We've done a special Friday night version of the program. We're going to hit the road here with one last song from my friends from New York, Ism. And we'll be back on Monday. Uh, Same channel here on Cosmic Waves Radio, Channel 2 on Cosmic Waves Radio. It'll be at 11 p.m. Central noon, or uh, midnight, I should say, midnight Eastern Time. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, my guest will be Elena Tonetti, and we'll be talking about children and childbirth and water birth and water birth with dolphins attending. So uh, amazing and interesting stuff next week as well on Radio Orbit. Come on back, check it out. Uh, In the meantime, one last time on the web, MikeHagan.com, and thanks for being with us, okay?
Thank you.